This week on Geek Explained, with the final season of Star Wars The Clone Wars debuting this Friday on Disney+, Plus, we're taking a look back at the previous six seasons to talk about my favorite stories from this beloved series. So grab your lightsaber and gather your clone troopers, because we're counting down the top six story arcs from The Clone Wars. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we can explain it. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is all about the Clone Wars. That's right, this Friday, as of this recording, the seventh and final season of Star Wars The Clone Wars debuts on Disney Plus. And um, I'm super freaking excited about it. I just finished my complete rewatch of the entire series to get myself ready for this final season. And while I was watching it, I was um, just in awe of how good the story really is. I'd forgotten. It'd been a while since I've watched this. And some of these episodes and some of just the stories that took place over the course of this series really are some of the best stories ever told in Star Wars lore. So... I figured we're going to talk about my top six story arcs from the series. Why six? Well, because there's six seasons, and I couldn't just let it go with five. So um, look forward to that in our main course for this episode. Also, our weekly review with the latest episode of Doctor Who, and of course, this week's Comics Countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. Alright guys and dolls, so I've got some news for you this week. We've actually got a lot of news to talk about. So we have our, of course, our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. And we're just going to go down the line. So starting off in film news, uh, we got... uh, A quick, like, super blurry look at possibly what Woody Harrelson might be looking like as Cletus Cassidy in Venom 2. Uh, Tom Hardy released a little uh, set photo. It's, like I said, super blurry. You can't see a whole lot, but you do see Woody Harrelson. His wig looks better. Again, it's like an obscured uh, look at it, but I don't know. I'm hoping that it looks better. Uh, On the DC side, some big stuff, actually. Uh, We got some set photos slash video from the set of The Suicide Squad, James Gunn's Suicide Squad soft reboot sort of sequel. Um, And it looks interesting. Uh, Harley Quinn looks like she is going to be, once again, changing up her look, looking... uh, very much more in line with the original Suicide Squad film than with her current look out of uh, Birds of Prey. 
Uh, she has her red and black color scheme uh, from the comics, which I think is a positive, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with her. Uh, we also got our first look through this uh, video at Idris Elba, um, as well as Ratcatcher and Polka Dot Man. Um, they look as ridiculous as that sounds. Um, it's still unclear exactly who Idris Elba is playing. Uh, most people have said Vigilante is kind of the leading prevailing theory, which I guess is fine. I would much rather him play Bronze Tiger, but Vigilante is kind of more in line with the uh, gun-toting lead that Will Smith started off with with uh, Deadshot, so it wouldn't surprise me. But it looks interesting. Uh, James Gunn is clearly having a blast and really getting to stretch his legs with the material, so I'm excited for him. But the big news this week when it came to film news was um, we got a big old reveal from uh, the Batman. From the Robert Pattinson Batman movie, they released a cat, uh, a camera test, which was basically bathed in red light, and we got our first look at Robert Pattinson in the bat suit. It looks really, really good. I'm excited about it. Just from what we see, we don't see a lot, but we do see a good look at his chest with his bat symbol. Uh, there's been a lot of talk online about it possibly being made from the gun that killed his parents. I don't like that personally. I don't. Um, I don't subscribe to that idea. I'm not a fan of it. If they do end up making that the case and making it work, I will happily. Um, eat my words, but I don't think that's the right direction to go with it, but we'll see. Uh, we also got a little pan up into the shoulders. He's very armored. Um, I'm looking at it right now, and there's a lot of just heavy armor, which I guess, since this is supposed to be like year two, makes sense. I'm getting a lot of Arkham Origins vibes, which I like. A little bit of Arkham Knight vibes as well, with just the armor plating. Uh, but what I'm really excited about is from the neck up. The cape seems to be attaching to this collar that reminds me a lot of the uh, Batman White Knight Batsuit by Sean Gordon Murphy. If you're not familiar with it, check it out. Um, it looks good. I'm always a fan of like the collar look. I think it looks really cool. And again, reminds me of the Arkham series, as well as some like uh, Batman Noel, the Bermejo suit, really, really digging that. And then we head up into the cowl, and the cowl, uh, you could be forgiven for thinking it is a straight rip from the um, Daredevil set, because it is very wide back when it goes to exposing his jaw, which I'm fine with. Um, it's interesting to me that the cowl looks leather. Like, it, you can see that there's stitching on the actual cowl, and I think that looks interesting when juxtaposed with the armor. I'm not sure exactly what they're going for, and of course we don't know for sure until we see the entire Batsuit itself. But from what I saw, I'm liking it. I'm liking it a lot. I don't know exactly how long the ears are. We don't get a good peek at that. I am going to assume that they're, they're going to go long. I still subscribe to short ears. I'm a short ear bat cowl kind of guy. But I think if they are trying to lean in heavily to like an updated version of his original uh, 1938 or uh, 
excuse me, 1939 costume, I'm okay with that. He better have purple gloves, but I'm okay with that. And I'm assuming that since we went for a while with short-eared and even medium-eared when we're looking at the Christian Bale cows, they do want to kind of stretch it out and go for long-eared cows. So I'm cool with that. But overall, really interested. We also got a short clip of Michael Giacchino's uh, Batman theme, and I love it. I really, really dig it. It gives me heavy Batman the Animated Series vibes, so I am really looking forward to seeing what they do here. So that's it for film news. Moving on to TV news, we got official confirmation that Mandalorian Season 2 is coming to Disney Plus in October. Really excited about that. I love the first season of The Mandalorian, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with Season 2. Also in TV news, Overwatch and Diablo cartoons are apparently in development by Blizzard, Totally down with that. I'm not really a huge Diablo fan. I've just never really been able to connect to it. But I am so down for an Overwatch cartoon, especially if it's being developed by Blizzard. Speaking of developments in TV, Falcon and the Winter Soldier officially wrapped filming in Atlanta this week. So we're going to start to see more footage as the year goes on. They are still, from what I can tell, shooting for that August release date, which would make me very happy. But if it gets pushed back to like a September release, I won't be mad about it. We also got a brief teaser for Stranger Things Season 4. It's about a 50-second clip I just watched it for the first time before I started recording today, and it looks interesting. Uh, it gives us official confirmation that top that a uh, Hopper Topper that Hopper did survive the end of season three, and that he is in Russia. We basically get a shot in on a camp in Soviet Russia, and hopper is working on what looks like the chain gang so i'm interested to see what they do to explain how he survived how he ended up in russia what he's doing now and looking forward to seeing what they do with this next season another tease that we got is from umbrella academy umbrella academy season two we do know is dropping sometime this year but the official twitter and instagram accounts dropped some teases some teaser posters uh featuring a great little uh two with the umbrella uh symbol i really dig it um i'm assuming since they're dropping teasers that we're going to be looking for like a summer release i would love it if it dropped in like april um, but I can see them waiting until like maybe like a June to really like give it time to ramp up for the uh, advertising. But we'll see. Heading into comics news. I'm really excited about this comics news. Uh, first off, we are getting from Valiant Comics a new Shadow Man series. Uh, this is pretty interesting. I'm not, I will admit, I'm not the biggest uh, Valiant Comics uh, aficionado, I know of those characters. I know of Ninjak, I know of Bloodshot, uh, and I am aware of Shadow Man. It looks interesting. It's going to be written by Colin Bunn with art by John Davis Hunt, and they released an official synopsis, which I will read to you right here. And it reads... Come on. There we go. It reads... New York Times bestselling writer Cullen Bunn and the terrifyingly talented John Davis Hunt pull you into the darkness. In this brand new series, Jack Boniface, Boniface? 
I don't know how to pronounce that, aka Shadow Man, faces the terrors that tear at the fabric of humanity's world. Every chapter of Shadow Man is a standalone descent into horror, while something far more sinister emerges from the shadows. So I like the idea of making every issue its own standalone story, while making maybe like a backup be the serialized... Um, uh, plot going on the cover looks fantastic the tease that they sent out i'm looking at it through uh, cbr looks really really cool i'm really digging the art on this so i might pick this up and if you're a fan of valiant comics and a fan of shadow man i'm sure you will be picking this up as well next up we have news that the uh, jj and henry abrams spider-man series has been delayed the last two issues ha are being delayed i think at least a month Issue number one and two, issue number one came out, issue number two was delayed into December, uh, issue number three was supposed to come out, I think in January, and it's been delayed to March, so, whatever. I haven't really been wa uh, reading it, I'm not, again, really subscribing to this whole Abrams Spider-Man thing, it just feels like nepotism, but if you've been enjoying the story, feel free to let me know, and feel free to let to let me know if I'm missing out. Uh, also, we have news, big news from Detective Comics, these last two bits. Uh, first off, we know that, according to uh, Pete J. Tomasi, that Joker War is coming to Detective Comics this year. Uh, Tomasi has basically described this as the Joker has been toying with Batman for all of these years and has decided that he's done playing with him, and so he is officially declaring war on Batman and on Gotham. Really excited about this. Also, uh, we're going to see the debut of Punchline, who is his new sidekick now that he doesn't have Harley Quinn with him. And the design looks really cool. I gotta admit, it looks really cool. Uh, she seems to be Asian. She's got freckles. The design looks really, really interesting. Seems to be pulling from different eras of clown makeup. And we've already seen people cosplaying as her. So I think this character is going to be a resounding success. Uh, she seems deadly. She looks like she's um, really well-versed in knives. So I'm looking forward to that. Should be really, really cool. And um, if... This character really takes off if they don't make her the villain for whichever Harley Quinn sequel we get, whether it's Birds of Prey, Gotham, Gotham City Sirens, or whatever, they are seriously missing out. But the big DC news this week is we finally got some clues as to what direction DC is going in as we are on the march to 5G. Uh, DC put out an official... Um, I guess, synopsis for the DC Generation 1 special. It, so it looks like they're going to be doing specials on each generation heading into the fifth generation. So I'm interested. Uh, it, from what I'm reading here, the five-issue line of Prestige one-shot specials is preceded by Generation Zero, which we've talked about before, a prologue by Scott Lobdell and Brett Booth that will be included in DC's free comic book day offerings. So... It looks like this uh, series of one-shots is going to attempt to unify all the DC uh, many different uh, timelines and whatnot into one solid core timeline going by each generation as we go. We see that uh, Generation 1 is titled The Age of Mysteries. Generation 2 is Age of the Metahuman. Generation 3 is Age of Crisis. And Generation 4 is Age of Rebirth. 
and Generation 5 is going to be Age of Tomorrow. So I'm interested. I'm still not sure how I feel about 5G. All the stuff that I've heard about it doesn't make me really excited about it. But we do have an official synopsis for Generation 1 Age of Mysteries, which will be dropping in on uh, May 27th. So let's go ahead and dive into that synopsis. And it reads... The march towards DC's future begins here by an all-star team of writers and artists. In May, DC launches a series of special one-shots that detail the history of DC Universe, starting with the debut of Wonder Woman, DC's first superhero, which I think is really interesting, and leading all the way to a bold new era unlike anything you've seen before. It starts on Free Comic Book Day with Generation Zero and continues in May with Generation One, with each subsequent month leading a new one-shot spotlighting the next generation of DC's superheroic legacy. The secret history of the DC Universe unfolds before us as seen through the eyes of Wonder Woman, Lucius Fox, which is interesting, King Faraday, and more. What is the previously undocumented Big Bang of the Heroic Age? What was the real reason behind the Justice Society's retirement? Which hero of the Golden Age makes a shocking transformation into its greatest villain? The answers set up the boldest DC storylines ever told in this, the first of five one-shot issues that chronicle the history of the DC Universe and lays the groundwork for excitement yet to come. So that's a lot. Uh, there's a lot packed in there, and we don't really have time to unpack all of that. But this does look like it's going to be a really cool, almost anthology special talking about uh, Wonder Woman, the Justice Society, which is near and dear to my heart. Um, as well as Lucius Fox, which I guess they're going to start working towards building him up since it's rumored that Luke Fox is going to be the next Batman. Um I'm intrigued by this which hero of the Golden Age makes a shocking transformation to its greatest villain. I don't know exactly what they are going for there, but I guess we'll see. Uh, just because I'm a sucker for World War II and the entire Golden Age, this might be my favorite of the uh, Generation 1 shots, but I'm interested. I'm cautiously optimistic. I haven't read Flash Forward uh, number 6, which we will talk about in this week's Comics Countdown, but... I know that that's going to lead into Generation Zero, which is going to lead into this. So I guess we'll just have to see and go along for the ride. So that is it for comics news. Heading into miscellaneous news, I've got two pieces here. First off, the uh, Marvel's Avengers game, which again, has been delayed until September, finally uh, opened itself back up for pre-orders and is showing off all of the pre-order bonuses available to uh, pre-order customers so i'm gonna real quick just move through them crystal dynamics has been really trying to make this game as good as possible and i really hope it's good um so i'm just gonna read this off i'm looking through these right now so it says pre-ordering any physical or digital edition of marvel's avengers including the standard edition will grant the player the marvel legacy outfit pack the marvel legacy nameplate and access to the game's beta the legacy outfits are inspired by moments from each Avengers comics when they embraced their powers and became heroes. And I'm interested, I'm looking at the image for it right now. Uh, for Iron Man, it looks like his Mark I suit or a version of his Mark I suit. Uh, for Kamala Khan, it looks like just her basic, like, pre miss marvel gear for the hulk you're getting like torn clothes hulk um who, who probably just turned into the hulk for the first time really cool 
Black Widow. Uh, looks like pretty basic Black Widow gear. Thor is wearing his classic uh, Norse god um, tunic and such. I think it looks hilarious because they've worked so hard to be like all grounded and realistic with the costumes here that he looks kind of silly but i'm really excited about this captain america one because it looks like it's ripped straight from world war ii uh he's got this if you look this up you can clearly see that the costume is inspired by the ultimates his world war ii ultimates costume which i love to death um and i since I will probably be pre-ordering this, this is the costume that I will be using at all times. Uh, next up, we have the PS4 exclusive digital edition. More PS4 exclusive content is available via the Marvel Avengers exclusive digital edition. This includes 1,000 in-game credits, which can be spent on customizing players' heroes, and the Miss Marvel nameplate depicting Kamala Khan in a whimsical pose, is how they describe this. Um, it looks like it's just basically the standard edition, just with these two additional... Um, uh, bonuses and will of course include the bonuses previously mentioned we also have the marvel avengers uh, game deluxe edition let me scroll down here and it reads uh, the marvel avengers deluxe edition features gold accented obsidian outfits for each hero along with matching nameplates basically all of these costumes are just silver with gold accents Beyond that, they're, they're, they're the exact same costumes that they are wearing in their default costumes in the game. Uh, the deep... There, my words today. Wow. Uh, the Deluxe Edition also provides 72-hour early access to the game, regardless of platform, which is cool. Uh, physical versions of the Deluxe Edition come with a free one-month subscription to the Marvel Unlimited Digital, digital Comics service, which is also cool. Um... It's not clear to me, and it doesn't really say here, if uh, people who purchase the Deluxe Edition on PS4 will get the exclusive bonuses from the um, PS4 digital, digital Edition, but they will be getting the pre-order bonuses from the Standard Edition. And then they have the Marvel's Avengers game, Earth's Mightiest Edition, which I just think is ridiculous let's dive into it so it says marvel avengers most feature-packed special edition is the earth's mightiest edition this ps4 and xbox one exclusive physical only collector's package contains a physical goodie inspired by each of the six heroes playable at launch a captain america statue which looks cool except i still can't stand that costume uh, a black widow belt buckle an Iron Man suit blueprint, a Hulk bobblehead, Thor's Mjolnir keychain, and Miss Marvel's honorary Avenger pin. Additionally, the Earth's Mightiest Edition includes a steelbook case for the game and a group photo of the main Avengers characters. Um, it looks fine. I don't think it's anything special. If you really, 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 really want this go for it but i honestly don't think that it's worth what it probably will cost um there's been no from what i can see here uh price announcements for each of these editions but you can assume based on normal um practices when it comes to these games uh standard edition probably 60 bucks uh deluxe edition probably 70 75 bucks and knowing 
how game developers are, the Earth's Mightiest Digital will probably be right around like 200. So I don't think you're getting your money's worth when it comes to the Earth's Mightiest Edition. Um, I would probably, if you really wanted to, uh, recommend the Deluxe Edition. I wouldn't use any of the costumes that are in the Deluxe Edition, but... Uh, you do get, like I said, 72-hour early access, and the uh, one-month subscription to the Marvel Unlimited Digital Comic Service is pretty cool. I will probably, honestly, be getting the standard edition, but I still am really excited about this game, and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so that's going to wrap up most of the news for this week. I also just want to do a quick thing at kind of settles into miscellaneous news uh but it's more personal news for me uh this week uh, i found out that one of my uh, near dear friends and good brothers who has uh, made an appearance on this podcast uh jesse pickering is moving back from uh los angeles back home to uh arizona i just wanted to give a quick shout out to him i will miss him dearly if you are uh if the name sounds familiar he's appeared mostly in uh star wars related content on this podcast he is the biggest star wars fan i know and i am going to miss dearly getting to talk to him in person we will of course still hang out as much as possible i wish him safe travels and good luck on his next adventure uh but his spirit will live on in this podcast in all Star Wars related media, which does bring us to our main course of the of the podcast, the entree, if you will, which is ranking the top six story arcs in Star Wars The Clone Wars. <laughs> So as I said at the top, I recently finished rewatching the entire Clone Wars series to prep for the release of season seven, the final season of this amazing love letter to Star Wars. And watching through that season, I was just blown away by stories that I remembered, stories that I'd completely forgotten about, and stories I had honestly just kind of brushed by that I fell in love with upon a rewatch. And so today we are talking about my top six Star Wars Clone Wars arcs. Uh, this is going to comprise uh, several different episodes for each arc. I have them ranked from number six to number one. Uh, I want to preface this right now. Uh, there will be spoilers. I will be talking about events that happen in these episodes so if you have not seen the series or you haven't seen it in a while you're in the middle of your own rewatch uh pause this go finish watching the series come back and we will discuss um i'm also going to be giving uh names to these arcs they don't like officially have names so i'm just going to give them names that i am going to designate them with and of course i'll be letting you know like what episodes to check out with these arcs but i'm just really excited about this uh clone wars i think and rightfully so is one of the most uh beloved parts of star wars media and i'm just really stoked to talk about it so kicking off this list at number six 
is the Younglings arc. Now, this is from Season 5, Episodes 6, 7, 8, and 9. And this follows a group of younglings as they basically embark on becoming actual Jedis, actual Padawans. So this group, I love them. They're fantastic. They're a good range of both characters as well as species. Um, I absolutely adore seeing a little Wookiee Padawan. It just, it makes my heart happy. But the reason that this episode and really this whole arc um, shines for me is because of David Tennant. David Tennant, who plays the 10th Doctor and is known for just being a beloved actor just in general, plays a droid in this arc. Um, what What is he called? Let me figure this out real quick. I'm looking this up right now. Um, da, 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 Hu Young, and I'm pretty sure that that's not how you say his name. But he's basically, if anything else, he's like the Ollivanders of the Jedi, of the Star Wars universe. We get this amazing sequence, I believe it's in the second episode of this arc, where um, all of the Padawans who have gotten their uh, kyber crystals from the previous episode, the first episode of this arc, uh, they bring their kyber crystals to him, and he is, you know, pulling parts and pieces out from, like, drawers and stuff. It's very um, Ollivanders from Harry Potter, and I love it. Uh, the episode also does not really start or end where you expect it to. The series, or the arc, starts with um, all the Padawans being brought by Master Yoda to this frost this frosty ice planet where they have to all go and search for their kyber crystals um each of them goes through their own trial to get said crystal and once they get the crystals on their way back they encounter hu young again no i i can't remember if that's how you say his name or not but um it's a great episode on them like building their lightsabers and while there are episodes and arcs like in the final season with uh the final arc involving yoda going to D dagobah going to moraban um that really dive into jedi concepts like really high concept jedi concepts um this arc really for me explains everything about the jedi that you need to know and really everything that I think a lot of people, myself included, love about the Jedi. It's that sense of adventure, that sense of wonder. Um, this arc also brings these Padawans, after they've built their lightsabers, into direct conflict with Hondo and his space pirates, uh, into conflict with Grievous, where they have to save Ahsoka from the pirates and then basically fight off Grievous and his... Um, uh, his droid squads like it's a great swashbuckling series of episodes i'm a huge fan of it and it really gets you excited and in the mood to watch star wars like if you haven't seen um any episodes from the clone wars obviously you know there are some i would absolutely recommend watching the series from the beginning but if you wanted to really get into like hey let's you know jump into 
Star Wars, but with some concepts that we know, lightsabers, Jedi, the whole thing. Um, this really does a good deep dive into how the Padawans get their kyber crystals, how they build their lightsabers, and really how they learn to become Jedi. And I think that this arc is a fantastic use of those concepts. Uh, the reason it doesn't rank higher for me is because... Um, one of the reasons that I think the Clone Wars works is that it features the actual clones and gives them a lot of, um, you know, character and pathos that isn't really shown as much in these episodes. Uh, this does also have the benefit of having Ahsoka, which is great. Um, but the arc is a little downplayed just because you know that, um, in the back of your mind, and it, I didn't really think about this until after watching this arc, that all of these younglings probably died at the hands of Anakin Skywalker during uh, episode three. But regardless, this is a really fun set of episodes and a great time, especially, I would say, for younger fans who can basically watch themselves like on TV or however you decide to stream this, um, and watch the path of kids just like them learning how to become Jedi. So I think that in itself is a great, great um, reason for this to be on this top six list. At number five, we have the Orders arc. This is season six, episodes one through four, going from really like fun and hopeful arc to a really dark and depressing arc um the orders arc is probably the most um uh the darkest set of episodes i would say in this entire show um this involves fives who we've been following since the very first season along with tup who we picked up uh throughout the season as well uh coming to grips with this vast conspiracy that involves order 66 order 66 in episode three was the um call sign used for the clones to start attacking and killing their jedi commanders and in this episode, uh, or in the first episode of this arc, uh, Tup, his, basically his inhibitor chip that is um, uh, basically the source of the Order 66 protocol malfunctions, and so he immediately goes and kills one of the Jedi during a battle and so the rest of the arc is fives trying to figure out what the hell is going on with this chip with this conspiracy and how he is going to uh solve it and get the word out it is dark it is sad um especially after the triumph of some of these characters watching tup you know fall into madness was really sad watching fives oh my god the journey he goes on um this arc really once again like i said in the last point with our number six uh puts the clones in the spotlight which is what this series did so well and unfortunately because we all know what happens in the uh preceding events and the um events following this series we know that this is not going to end well for fives um his uh his last scene his last uh episode is incredibly sad uh he goes from trying to figure out what's going on with tup to realizing that there's a tumor that is in reality some kind of inhibitor chip transmitting orders to them um 
to being a fugitive to going and nearly assassinating the chancellor to being a fugitive again and then ultimately being killed by other clones because he knows the truth and it is oh man it's dark and it's sad and um it gives a really tragic ending to one of the most beloved characters in the series watching fives go from the rookies episode all the way to him being a successful arc trooper and then his fall from grace because he gets wrapped up in this conspiracy is just oh man it's like a greek tragedy uh this episode and this uh this arc also i think for me at least corrects one of the long time uh problems i always had with order 66 because it makes absolutely no sense first of all for the clones to just all of a sudden be like oh yeah we've always had this protocol that we all know and agree with that we're gonna kill the jedi that we serve under um this being almost a almost something that they aren't able to control and the i guess like the kill code being order execute order 66 like flipping that switch i think makes a lot more sense to me in the idea that the clones are being manipulated just as much as the jedi are and it's sad it's sad watching the machinations of you know the emperor or the soon-to-be emperor as well as the separatists you know forcing people into this just awful situation and bringing about one of the saddest conclusions for a character in really any format um, that I've ever seen. It is dark, it is uh, tragic, and it is one of the most compelling arcs in the entire series. Uh, number four, we have the Deception Undercover arc. This is from Season 4, Episodes 15 through 18. And in this arc... Um, I have to talk about this because I had completely forgotten about this arc. I just, when I thought, and when most people think of uh, the Clone Wars, not a whole lot of people will think about these episodes, and that is an absolute travesty. Um, basically, the premise for this arc is that uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is presumed uh, assassinated and dead, but he goes under. He basically goes undercover as a um, as a bounty hunter into the seedy underworld of Coruscant, and is you know basically following a lead that there is going to be an assassination attempt on the Chancellor, and so we get to see the you know the underbelly of the of Coruscant and really the criminal underworld of the Star Wars universe as a whole through the eyes of Obi-Wan Kenobi who is one of the most virtuous characters in the entire series it's so much fun it is an amazing use of different characters um, different set pieces different ideas uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is played to perfection in this uh, in this series of episodes and it really is one of the most entertaining and overall just fun arcs in the entire series. The The episode, I believe the episode's entitled The Box, where the bounty hunters, you know, they 
bring together this group of bounty hunters from all across the galaxy to essentially compete in this like Hunger Games style uh, test to find out who's the best uh, bounty hunter to serve under, you know, the separatists. And it's so cool and imaginative, the trials that they have to go through. Also, Anakin in the B-plot you know, thinking and kind of being kept out of the loop of this plan that thinking that Obi-Wan is dead and trying to hunt down the people responsible is a great B-plot and really ratchets up the tension because Obi-Wan Kenobi, while being undercover, is masquerading as the guy who supposedly killed him. And so he does run into Anakin at a certain point during this arc. And, oh, it's so good. It's so good. He, you know... A lot can be said about Anakin Skywalker's character, especially when it comes to the Clone Wars. But Matt Lanter does such a great job in his um, in his vo vocal performance as Anakin Skywalker. And it's so cool to watch uh, a desperate Anakin Skywalker react to the death of his mentor and see how far that pushes him. It's so cool, it's so fun, and it's really one of the most underrated stories in the entire Clone Wars. So that is my number four. At number three, we have The Wrong Jedi Arc. This is season five, episodes 17 through 20. And when a lot of people think of the Clone Wars, um, the first character that really springs to mind for most people is Ahsoka Tano. She was created exclusively for this series. And even though she was probably one of the more hated characters for... Um, for longtime fans who just started the series, over time she grows as a character and becomes one of the most beloved characters in all of Star Wars. So much so that she is carried into uh, Rebels, the follow-up series to this. And it's so interesting watching her journey from being this really like um, obnoxious and snarky Padawan into becoming, I would say, arguably Anakin's um, peer and Anakin's equal when it comes to her prowess with a lightsaber and with the Force. And so this episode is really the culmination and the this, I keep saying this episode, but this arc is really the culmination of Ahsoka's story and kind of fills in the blanks of what happened to her up to this point in the series um, that would drive her away from the events of episode three because when she was introduced and especially introduced as hey Anakin this is your new Padawan and she's going to be with you for the entire Clone Wars we all kind of knew in the back of our minds okay something or someone is going to take her off the board when um when episode three comes around because she's never mentioned and this series of episodes this arc really serves to explain that explain where she is what she's doing um and why she isn't present for the events of episode three she's essentially framed for a bombing at the jedi temple as well as killing an accomplice and has to go on the run to uh clear her name this arc is also really good for the reintroduction and inclusion of Saj Ventress, who is another fan favorite character who actually made her debut in the original 2003 uh, Clone Wars animated series. And I love that she got carried over into the um, CG Clone Wars and her getting kind of the, 
I guess you could call it an epilogue for her arc. It hasn't been confirmed whether she's going to show up in the new season, but her arc across Clone Wars was really um, learning that she was disposable to Count Dooku, um, rallying against him, losing all of her other Night Sisters, um, the birth of a, of a Savage Opress, as well as basically her fall from grace and then becoming a bounty hunter. Uh, and this kind of features like her post all of her character development in this series where she is a fully fledged bounty hunter who uh, takes an interest in Ahsoka because she's on the run and there is a bounty on her head. So the two of them get to work together to kind of figure out the truth behind this conspiracy and it's just great seeing both of those characters work together because at this point they're well versed in each other they know each other pretty well and their banter back and forth is really fun and i really enjoy it uh this also is a great uh mystery story there are a ton of unanswered questions throughout this throughout the um, arc where Ahsoka is trying to clear her name, trying to figure out who is framing me and why uh, the Jedi Council essentially turns against her along with the rest of the Republic trying to pin this bombing on her. And by the end of the arc, even though she does clear her name, she makes the decision to leave the Jedi Order because she feels like they abandoned her, and she doesn't feel like they trusted her, and if they can't trust her, who, you know, how can she trust herself? So, it's a great character piece on Ahsoka, it's a great piece um, really examining and fleshing out the relationship between Anakin and Ahsoka and how that's built, been built up over the series. And as essentially at this point a series finale, you couldn't have asked for more because this, um, this arc really gets you in the mood to head straight into uh, episode three because at this point you know Anakin has lost his Padawan he, he is doubting the Jedi Order he says in the final episode he's like you're not the only one who's had doubts and who's wanted to walk away from the Jedi Order and so you start to get the sense that um, Ahsoka leaving was kind of the last straw for him to put him in this headspace that we see him in when episode three starts up. So I really adore it. It's an incredible set of episodes and really one of the arcs that people talk about the most and really a lot of people look to when it comes to how great the series can be. And it absolutely had to be on this list. So it is at my number three. At number two, we have the Lawless arc. This is from season five, episodes 14, 15, and 16. Uh, this essentially involves the, um, the rise to power of Darth Maul and also the very quick descent as well. Um, this is Darth Maul having been basically uh, revived by his brother Savage Opress, the two of them going through and uh, allying themselves with um, Death Watch. Basically, they are the religious cult slash mercenary uh, rebellion from, um, from Mandalore. And the first episode really just goes into and it's one of my favorites um really just goes into them building that relationship with death watch and the arc subsequently shows their rise to power 
accumulating gang after gang after gang, uh, killing off the leadership of rival gangs and absorbing their um, their resources into their own. Uh, we also get a great little uh, cameo from the Black Suns. If you are familiar with the Shadows of the Empire. Um, whether it's book, the comic, the video game, whatever, um, that was a great little um, homage to them, and I really, really loved that. Uh, we also get to see them retake Mandalore. Uh, the entire plot, just putting together, like, okay, you know, Mandalore is in unrest. The Duchess Satine is losing control. If we can uh, convince the people that Death Watch is what's right for Mandalore, we can do this and this. Um, and I just loved it. And I actually uh, tweeted out that I was just shocked and I had, was just amazed at how I had forgotten just how good the end, um, the end uh, lightsaber duel between Darth Maul and the head of Death Watch really is. Um, this is also where Darth Maul acquires the, uh, the Darksaber, where he defeats the head of Death Watch, whose name I just can't remember. <laughs> and he beheads him and takes hold of the Darksaber. I love Darth Maul using the Darksaber. I don't know why, it just looks like it fits in with his aesthetic. Uh, we also get to see the sort of relationship between brothers uh, Maul and Savage, um, even though Savage is definitely more invested in their um, in their uh, relationship than Maul is. He sees them much more as uh, master and apprentice. However, uh, we do get to see how much they care for each other over the course of this arc. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi is quickly brought into help the situation he rescues duchess satine only for them to both be captured and the duchess to be executed by darth maul it is sad it is um tragic and obi-wan loses the person that he was in love with and who loved him back and we get a great little confrontation between obi-wan kenobi and darth maul anytime that kenobi and maul get together is always a good time um and really just watching the rebellion of Mandalore happen is so fascinating and really, really interesting to watch. And then it comes down to the final bit of the last episode where uh, Obi-Wan is able to help everyone overthrow uh, Death Watch and restore order to Mandalore. However, the big thing that a lot of people remember from this arc is the end lightsaber duel between Darth Maul and Savage Opress versus the Emperor Palpatine. Um, this lightsaber duel is so cool. Uh, watching Palpatine dual wield lightsabers against um, Savage and Maul is just amazing. The fight choreography is great. The speed of the fight is great. The tension of the fight, the... Um, the characterization of each combatant, the score, everything just makes this so incredibly fun to watch. Uh, this does result in the death of Savage Press, which is sad, and his final words basically being like, hey, I'm sorry that I wasn't good enough. Like, it sucks. Um, also, getting to watch the final bit where uh, Darth Maul dual-wields his lightsaber as well as the Darksaber versus a dual-wielding Palpatine is really cool. And watching the um, 
I would say the poetic justice in a way of um, Darth Maul being forced to watch Emperor Palpatine kill uh, Savage in the same way that he forced Obi-Wan to watch as he killed Qui-Gon is mwah, chef's kiss. It's perfect. Um, even though it's actually really sad watching him lose the fight and then cower, you know, begging for mercy as uh, Palpatine like roasts him with force lightning. It's a great uh, I would say summation of everything that we've come to love about this show and is really a great exploration of the lore in both um, when it pertains to the Jedi as well as non-Jedi. Getting to see the underworld of Star Wars is always fun and getting it so fleshed out as it is in this arc is really, really cool. And I would say it's one of the best balanced stories when it comes to featuring both Jedi and non-Jedi stories. So I really love it, and I think it's one of the best uh, Clone Wars arcs of all time. But it's not the best. For me, for my money, at number one, the best arc in all of Star Wars The Clone Wars is the Umbara Campaign. Uh, this is season four, episodes seven through ten, and for my money, pound for pound, this is the best arc from the entire Clone Wars series. If there is an arc from this new season that beats it, I will absolutely um, own up to that, but for my money, this is really Clone Wars at its best, because as some of the best episodes from the series, it puts the spotlight on the clones. And in this arc, it really puts the spotlight on the clones in relation to their Jedi commanders. Uh, this is also takes place on one of the most interesting planets, Umbara, which is perpetually in nighttime. And I love it so much. Basically, our squad, which does involve Captain Rex as well as... Uh, Tup, who we meet during this, and our boy, our boy Fives, um, are in the midst of a campaign on the planet of Umbara when their general Anakin Skywalker is called away to a different um, zone, and he is replaced by the general Krell. Uh, Krell is an incredible character. He is an amazing antagonist, both in his um, more subtle ways at the beginning of this arc, to him being an outright villain near the end of the arc. Um, watching him be like super subtly yet at the same time overtly racist towards the clones, he's like, oh, you know, you have some pretty good insight for a clone. Like, it's, oh, it makes my skin crawl. Um, his design is also really super cool. The fact that he basically has uh, two sets of arms and he dual wields with each arm, basically um, wielding four lightsabers at any one time uh, is also really cool. We get to see the clones kind of realize like, hey, this guy doesn't give a shit about us. And so we need to figure out how to make this work from trying to go within the rules to ending up breaking the rules as the story goes. Um, there's amazing tension, especially when they decide to steal the two um, droid bombers that they have um, acquired to destroy a blockade ship so that they could get supplies in. Um, it's, oh, the tension's so good because they're trying to make this mission happen without Krell noticing. Uh, we have two of our um, 
two of the clones who are kind of sort of still in the um in the mindset that Krell's doing the right thing so i think it's dogma is the character who has probably one of the more tragic stories during this arc but overall like showing off the series in the scope of an actual like war story like all of the series is of course called the clone wars but this really is the point in the show where it really felt like we were telling wartime stories and as you know i am a sucker for war stories and this one really spoke to me um them realizing like hey this guy doesn't have our best interests to hey this guy just forced us to try and kill our own men to discovering that he's fallen to the dark side that he's had visions about what's to come um to the way that dogma tragically um ends up killing Krell because of feeling betrayed. It's just amazing. It shows that there is no um, good and bad side in this war. We're all working within uh, our different shades of moral grays. It's an incredible story that really gets to the heart of what this show is and what the Clone Wars represents and makes you care about these characters. I would say every episode featuring Fives or Rex or any of the... Um, characters that end up being arc troopers uh really exhibits the heart and soul of this show if we're talking the episode rookies the episode arc troopers all of those uh the citadel arc all of them really uh show you and give these clones character that you care about they're not just uh nameless faceless uh soldiers that are cannon fodder for the jedi to use as meat shields while they get in close like these are characters these are living beings and no better arc shows this and showcases this than the umbara campaign so for my money pound for pound this is the best arc in the entire clone wars series so to recap at number six we have the younglings arc at number five we have the orders arc at number four we have the deception undercover arc at number three we have the wrong jedi arc at number two we have the lawless arc and at number one we have the umbara campaign um Overall, all of these arcs are fantastic. There's not a bad story among them. And the show itself really is one of the best representations of Star Wars in general. Whether you're talking films, whether you're talking TV, video games, comics, whatever. The Clone Wars is a love letter from Dave Filoni to George Lucas and to Star Wars as a whole. And that's why I am super, super excited for season seven to drop this coming Friday as of this recording. And I cannot wait to see where these characters go next. Uh, we do know that this season takes place following the events of every episode of every episode and season that comes before it uh we do know that this season is going to be uh involving the bad batch clone force 99 and i'm really excited about that as well as the siege of mandalore uh we've also gotten teases that ahsoka is finally going to be dueling with darth maul can't wait to see that duel and this season should bring us right up to where uh, episode three starts off so i'm really excited clone wars is incredible and i cannot wait to watch the next episode and the final season of clone wars just to see how this all ends <laughs>
It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are reviewing Doctor Who Season 11. Specifically, Episode 8, The Haunting of Villa Diodati. Uh, this episode is definitely one of my favorites in this entire season. Um, I feel like... After last episode, we talked about last week how this episode wasn't as good, I think, at um, following up on the promise of episode five, um, Fugitive of the, of the Jadoon, which was so freaking good. Um, this episode both tells an original story as well as following up and giving us more answers on stuff that we had been looking for. Um, so this episode is also... It takes place in Lake Geneva in 1816, which means it is a historical drama. Historical dramas, as we talked about during the uh, coverage of the Tesla episode, are some of my favorite Doctor Who concepts. Um, I think that Doctor Who really is at its best when it is time traveling and showing us stuff from the past. I'm a sucker for episodes of Doctor Who where they go into the past and have to deal with um, characters or historical figures. Uh, right at the heart of alien meddling. So this story is absolutely right up my alley, and it takes place on a dark and stormy night and features Mary Shelley, who, if you don't know, is the author of the original Frankenstein novel. Um, this episode... I think is just fantastic. It really leans into the horror aspect and rightfully so uh, features almost the entire episode taking place within a haunted house of sorts. Uh, we do find out that the haunted house is more of a perception filter brought on by the Siberium. And you heard that right. With the Siberium comes the lone Cyberman. So we have been waiting to see what the lone Cyberman is, what his deal is, what he's about. Uh, since Fugitive of the, of the Jadoon, when Captain Jack gave the companions the warning, do not give the lone Cyberman what he wants. And the lone Cyberman, as the villain of this story, really was great. I loved his design. Uh, he was unfinished. You could see bits of human. It, basically, half of his face was still there. He had some human emotions. Uh, some of his like tech didn't work. Uh, but his big uh, talking point for this episode was asking around, you know, asking, are you the Guardian? Are you the Guardian? And finding out that he was searching for something called the Siberium. Uh, as we come to find out, Mary Shelley's uh, betrothed-to-be and baby daddy, uh, Percy Shelley, is the Guardian that the lone Cyberman is looking for. Uh, he encountered the Siberium in a nearby lake, and it bonded to him and essentially turned him into a ghost. We don't know exactly what the Siberium is, we just know that it's a living uh, construct that is near and dear to the lone Cyberman, and is basically the um, the tool with which he will reestablish the uh, Cyberman Empire. So the episode really becomes kind of a keep away uh, strategy where the Doctor is both trying to figure out what the Lone Cyberman wants as well as keeping the Siberium away from him. Uh, the Doctor does end up taking the Siberium into herself to become the new guardian for it and is, oh man, is faced with a really uh, tough decision because 
Upon seeing this, the lone Cyberman sends out a beacon to the Cyber Empire, the remains of the Cyber Empire, basically saying, hey, that's cool. You want to be the Guardian? Fine. I'm going to bring the entire rest of the Cyber Empire down on this planet and raise it to hell until you give me the Siberium. And, of course, uh, the Doctor, being who she is, gives up the Siberium to save the Earth, and the lone Cyberman, whoop, disappears and leaves um this episode while being a great uh dark and spooky story also is great because it finally starts to push the narrative forward my big um complaint about the past two episodes can you hear me and praxius were that i didn't really feel like they were pushing the story forward that we it, they really weren't following the direction that episode five had given us for this back half and now finally with two episodes to go um we're finally getting a follow-up to this and it is it's gonna take us into the last two episodes of this season with um the new direction of the season and for the doctor and, his, and her companions to be stopping the Cyberman from whatever his plans are. Um, overall, the episode was great. I really enjoyed it. It's definitely top three in the uh, episodes this season. Um, right now, and of course, this can and will change i'm probably going to uh, do a full ranking of the season once the entire season's done um i think at number one fugitive of the of the jadoon still my favorite um at number two probably uh nikola tesla's night of terror i still think it's so fun and so good um and it's probably a toss-up between this and spyfall on which one um grabs the number three spot but overall love this episode uh the preview next week we are time traveling once again except this time we are following the, the lone cyberman into the far future and we are going to be uh dealing with the fallout of the cyber wars so i'm really excited about it should be a great great time and i cannot wait to see this new episode i it this episode really reinvigorated my interest after the last two episodes were kind of like bah, they're cool but they're not really what i'm looking for um and i'm excited for these last two episodes to really um wow me and blow me away so tune in next week for episode nine uh and for now let's head on over to this week's comics countdown <laughs> Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. We'll be talking about each book's title and creative team, as well as a brief synopsis of each book as well. And of course, every synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices. If you have a synopsis voice you'd like me to try out, feel free to request them whether it's through uh, social media at Pod on both Instagram and Twitter or through email because I'm an old man I still read emails to geeksplained at gmail.com but before we get to the comics from this week we got to take a look back at last week with the Geeksplained pick of the week of last week and I've got my comics right here I you could probably hear me ruffling through them right now. But as a first time for the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week, I am going to pick my Pick of the Week on air. 
So I'm looking at the uh, books that I picked up from last week. Uh, there were some really good ones and some that I was kind of excited about but fell a little short for me. Um, and looking at them right now, I think the book I have to pick is... Um, it's, it's either a toss-up between Hawkeye Freefall number three or batman pennyworth r.i.p i think i think i'm gonna go with uh pennyworth r.i.p for uh the pick of the week of last week uh written by james tynan the fourth and peter j tamasi with art by eddie barrows and others i really dug this book um kind of as a post-mortem for alfred uh, the story served as a great little uh, tribute to him through the eyes of the Bat family. I kind of wish that we had gotten more uh, closure because it didn't feel like we really got any closure with these characters or with Bruce, who is really um, not handling this well. But I overall really liked it as a loving tribute to a character who has now died, and I'm looking forward to seeing where these characters go next in this story. But that's last week. Let's talk about this week. This week is stacked. I've been talking about for weeks how I've been waiting for DC to strike back at Marvel, and boy howdy did they this week. We have one, two, three, four, five, nine books for you. So let's go ahead and just jump on into them, starting off with Deceased The Unkillables. Number one. I am really excited about this. Uh, this is Deceased Unkillables number one of three, written by Tom Taylor with art by Carl Mostert and Trevor Scott. This is both a follow-up as well as kind of a tie-in to the original Deceased book, which took the comics world by storm last year. Um, and the premise of this is really, really cool. So I'm excited to get into it. Let's just jump into the synopsis here. The blockbuster DC series returns to answer this question. What did the villains do when the heroes failed and the world ended? Spitting out of the dramatic events of 2019's smash hit, writer Tom Taylor returns to this dark world with a street-level tale of death, heroism, and redemption. Led by Red Hood and Deathstroke, DC's hardest villains and anti-heroes fight with no mercy to save the only commodity left on a dying planet of the undead, life. So I'm really excited about that premise, teaming up um, Red Hood and Deathstroke along with what looks like on the cover, um, Lady Shiva, Deadshot, Captain Cold, Cheetah, Bane, Solomon Grundy. I'm really stoked for this. Um, and I can't wait to see what they do with this book. Next up, we have Marauders number eight, written by Jerry Duggan with art by Stefano Caselli. Um, this book has just been so good so far, uh, really dealing with a lot of political intrigue as well as some swashbuckling adventure, and I have no doubt that this book is going to continue on with that, so let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. The Treasure Island of Island M. As Verendi's plans against Krakoa grow, the Marauders find themselves missing something vital, something that brings Storm and the White Queen to blows. So we're talking Storm versus Emma Frost, and I am here for the smackdown of the century. 
Next up, we have Batman number 89, written by James Tynan IV, with art by Guillaume March, and uh, cover, of course, by Tony S. Daniel. Uh, this story's been really, really good so far. I've been loving the uh, Assassin storyline, which kind of harkens back to Arkham Origins. You all know how much I love that game. And I am really intrigued by this um the secret pact by the villains of Batman's rogues gallery. They're featured pretty prominently on the cover. Uh, the five involved being um, Catwoman, the Penguin, the Riddler, Harley Quinn, and the Joker. They have some dark secret that they covered up. And the last issue, Penguin was killed. So I'm really excited to see what they do with this and this um, conspiracy dark secret that they've been hiding. I'm really interested to see it come to light. So let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Batman must stop Deathstroke from killing the mayor of Gotham City. But to do so, he has to figure out who ordered the hit in the first place. If his four main suspects aren't fessing up to the crime, then is there someone even more sinister lurking in the shadows waiting to deliver the coup de grace? Whoever it is, one victim will fall under their attack. So I, I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to this, like I said, and I can't wait to see uh, how far we go into the rabbit hole of this conspiracy. Next up, we have a new number one that I'm really excited about. This is Wolverine number one, written by Benjamin Percy with art by Adam Kubert and Victor Bogdanovich. Um, the Really, the synopsis says exactly what I need to say about it, so let's go ahead and just dive into it. The best is back. Wolverine been through a lot. He's been a loner. He's been a killer. He's been a hero. He's been an Avenger. He's been to hell and back. Now, as the nation of Krakoa brings together all mutant kind, he can finally be happy? With his family all together and safe, Wolverine has everything he ever wanted and everything to lose. Plus, the return of Omega Red. So I'm really excited about this, first of all, because Benjamin Percy is uh, at the reins for this Wolverine series. He's the one who wrote the Wolverine The Long Night podcast. Um, if you haven't listened to that, it's basically an audio drama featuring, um, oh, I'm forgetting his name. Um, damn. Uh, he played um, the main uh, Dwarf King in... Um, the Hobbit movies, oh man, that's going to bother me. Anyway, it's so good. Check it out. You can check it out on any podcast uh, platform. And I'm really excited about this. Uh, plus, Adam Kubert is an amazing artist. And I, I just, I love Wolverine. So I'm really excited about this. Next up, we have Superman's Pal, Jimmy Olsen, number 8 of 12. Uh, written by Matt Fraction, art by Steve Lieber. What can I say about this book? It's just been so good all the way through, and I, I'm i just, I'm loving it. I really, really am. So let's just dive into it. Let's go ahead and just dive into the synopsis here. Oh, oh, ah, uh, ah, uh, Jimmy C, Jimmy Do. 
Jix and Jimmy go back to Gorilla City, where they had a one-night marriage stand. Don't believe it? Go reread Superman Leviathan Rising number one. Jimmy's sister Janie and Doc Mantell get to Gorilla City to warn Jimmy about what Doc saw in the future, only to find it's the attack of the 50-foot Jimmy. So, this series has just been so ridiculous with every new issue, and I'm really just excited to continue on with this. And I'm kind of su I'm sad that we're starting to head into the home stretch. We've only got uh, four issues left of this series, and I am going to miss it when it's gone. Next up, we have Daredevil number 18, written by Chip Zdarsky with art by George Fornes. I just, this book's so dang good, y'all. It just really, really is. I've been loving every single bit of it, and I am really excited to uh, pick up this issue. We're heading into the what feels kind of like the end game when it comes to the uh, the owl and his annexation of New York, trying to get up and pull together all of uh, Wilson Fisk's old territory. And I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen now that he's going to clash with a newly reborn and kind of still in the developing stages Daredevil. So let's go ahead and dunk, jump into the synopsis here. Target Daredevil. The war in Hell's Kitchen builds as Owl takes his stab at Wilson Fisk, formerly the kingpin of crime, now mayor of New York. Matt must come to terms with what Daredevil truly means, and he better do it soon, as a new and deadly foe makes a decisive return. So, like I said, this book's been so good, if you haven't been reading Daredevil, do yourself a favor, pick it up. Next up we have Legion of Superheroes number 4, written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Mikkel Janine. Um, really looking forward to this. Uh, also art by Ryan Sook. Can't forget Ryan Sook. He's been incredible in this. Um, but we're finally going to get the issue that a lot of us have been waiting for. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. The secret origin of the Legion of Superheroes revealed. Exactly how did this ragtag group of idealistic, superpowered teens from all across the galaxy find each other? What pulls them and keeps them together? Another gorgeous issue of DC's future superstars also reveals clues to how Aquaman's lost trident may be the key to Earth's future and survival. So I like in the synopsis how they kind of like admit that one of the big selling points of this is the art. Not so much the writing, but overall, I've been really enjoying Legion of Superheroes. I'm also really interested to see what they do for this new updated origin for the team, since it's wildly, at least from the makeup of the team, how they're treating the current events. It seems to be mostly uh, pretty different from how we come to know uh, Legions of the past. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with this. Next up, my two big books of the week. Um, I have been waiting for these two books. These are, um, like I said, my big two books, and they're also two conclusions for their respective series. So first up, I have Superman Smashes the Clan, number three of three, written by Jean Lun Yang with art by Gurihiru. This book is just everything I love about Superman. If you have not picked up the first two issues of this, do yourself a favor before this third issue comes out this week. Pick them up, read them, and then pick this one up and read it too. Um, it's just, it's it's so good. It's so freaking good. You need to read this. I'm not going to say anything else. Let's just jump into the synopsis here. 
The Daily Planet is under attack. When the clan invades the newspaper's office, they kidnap Lois Lane, Perry White, and Inspector Henderson. The clan's attacks have separated our heroes, forcing Roberta and Jimmy Olsen to step up to help save the Daily Planet staff. But the clan has one more surprise to reveal. In order to save his friends and stop the clan once and for all, Superman must face his own identity to unleash his full potential and ultimately accept who he really is. Inspired by the 1940s Superman radio serial Clan of the Fiery Cross, New York Times best-selling author Jean Lun Yang concludes his personal retelling of the adventures of the Lee family as they team up with Superman to smash the clan. I just, I love this book. I just, I love it so much. Just pick it up, please, for me. Another book, the big book of the week for me, um, the book that I think you should absolutely pick up alongside Superman Smashes the Clan number three of three is Flash Forward number six of six. You knew this was coming. Uh, written by Scott Lobdell with art by Brett, Brett Booth and Norm Rapmund. Um, this is the conclusion of Wally West's story for now. We don't know exactly how this is going to fit in. We've gotten clues from this whole uh, Generation Zero tease that we've gotten. Uh, 5G is also coming up. I don't know exactly what this is going to spell for Wally West's future. But the book itself has been really good. And you need to keep picking this book up because Wally West deserves to have stories. Um, if nothing else, also just pick up the book for me and for the cover art from Doc Shaner. It's so good. It's so amazing. And I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what they do with this. So let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. The finale of Flash Forward is here, and Wally West must make the toughest choice of his life. Save the day or save his family. With the crack in the dark multiversal barrier reaching critical mass, Wally's mettle will be tested in ways the young hero has never seen before, and this surprise ending will leave you speechless. So, this is... Seems like it's going to be the big cataclyst heading into this whole, like, Generation Zero stuff. Um, pretty smart. Pretty smart making people have to pick up this book and this series to know what's going on. Especially putting Wally West at the heart of it. I love this. I love this series. I love this character. You need to pick this up, especially if you love Wally West, if you want to see more of his stories. And especially if you want to know what's going on and to generation zero all the generation stuff we talked about uh in the new segment and 5g as it comes out probably this summer so uh that's my big book of the week along with superman smashes the clan number three of three uh to recap the full list we have deceased unkillables number one of three marauders number eight batman number 89 wolverine number one superman's pal jimmy olsen number eight of 12 daredevil number 18 Legion of Superheroes, number four. Superman Smashes the Clan, number three of three. And Flash Forward, number six of six. If I missed any books this week, it's unlikely because there's a bunch on this. But if I did, feel free to let me know. I love discovering new books. And it's a really good time to be a DC Comics fan. And a really good time to be a comics fan altogether. And that is going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, feel free to reach out on either social media or through email to let me know your thoughts on 
anything we talked about, whether it's the Clone Wars, how hyped you are for this seventh and final season, whether it's about any of the news that we talked about today, I want to know what you all think about the Robert Pattinson Batsuit reveal. I'm really excited about it. I'm hoping that the rest of the suit looks as good as the tease that we've got. Uh, Talk to me about Doctor Who. Have you been enjoying the season? Are you excited for the uh, last two episodes in the season? And where do you think Doctor Who's going to go next? How about comics? We got a crap ton of comics this week that I'm really excited to read. Uh, let me know, are you excited about Flash Forward like I am and like you should be? Uh, what's your favorite comic that you're picking up this week? Feel free to let me know all of that. I want to talk to you guys about this. I love having those conversations. And don't forget that this is episode 96 and we are currently on the march to episode 100. I'm really excited about it. Thank you all for being on the ride with me. Uh, if you've enjoyed anything that we talked about this week, feel free to give us a rating and review on iTunes and I will promise to read your review on the air. So feel free to do that. Um, also, subscribe to us. Uh, let me know that you enjoy what you're listening to, that you enjoy what I'm doing here. Uh, we're growing all the time. I never thought that we were going to get to episode 100, to be honest, uh, when I first started this podcast, and I'm really excited about how the podcast has grown. Uh, we're also looking into 2020 being a big year for this podcast, so I'm really excited about it. Um, also, with episode 100 on the horizon, I've been giving teases about what episode 100 will be about. Last week, I let you folks know that it will be a Superman-focused episode. This week, I will let you know that the contents of episode 100 will involve Superman in his very first year of his career. So... Like I said, a little tidbit there, a little, little, little breadcrumb for you to uh, to munch on for now. We've got three more episodes before we hit episode 100, and overall, I'm just really excited about it. So uh, tune in next week for more geek goodness and continuing on the march to 100 with episode 97. Same geek time, same geek channel, but for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening, and we will... See you next time.